0: Good morning and welcome to Wave Makers with Janet and Tom on WMNF, a weekly conversation with people making a difference in the Tampa Bay region. I'm Janet. And I'm Tom. And answering the phones for us today is sandwich lover John Dunn. If you want to join our conversation, you can call us at 813-239-9663 and John will get you through to us in a tasty way. You can also email us at dj at wmnf.org or text us at 813-239-9663. 433-0885. 433 Today we'll be
1: talking about a subject near and dear to my heart, the Cuban sandwich. The Tampa City Council declared it the signature sandwich of Tampa 10 years ago, kicking off a debate with Miami over what goes into a real Cuban sandwich, which city invented it, and whose reigns supreme. Here to discuss this pressing issue. Yeah. See what he did there? <laughs> are the authors of a new book titled The Cuban Sandwich, A History in Layers. Andrew Hughes, Barbara Cruz, and Jeff Halk. Welcome.
2: Thank you. Good morning. Thanks. I'm surprised I haven't used the pressing joke before.
1: Oh, yeah, maybe a thousand times. Uh, You know, I'd never heard of a Cuban sandwich before moving to Tampa from Virginia uh, 40 years ago. But I grew to love them. I've eaten them at countless parties and political events and spent plenty of time debating who makes the best. Cuban sandwiches can now be found throughout Florida, the nation, and even the world. But where did this humble creation originate? And how has it evolved?
0: We'll be talking about that over the next hour. um, But let's start with lead author of the book, Andy Hughes. Andy, you've written books on the history of Tampa restaurants, another on the history of the Columbia restaurant, and you work at the USF Library Special Collections. What made you want to write a whole book about Cuban sandwiches?
3: Hmm. Well, I didn't know it was going to be a whole book, uh, but I was interested for a long time. And uh, I felt like... Tampa's history, its culinary history is kind of unsung. Um, we know a lot about the cigar industry, but we don't know as much about, I don't know, the, the, the background of some of our favorite dishes here. Um, I thought the Cuban sandwich was probably the most unsung just because most of the time when I first got interested in it, if somebody wrote an article about it, they just talked about it being in Miami um, you know, the conventional wisdom was that it just showed up sometime in 1960 with all the, the Castro exiles. And, uh, you know, for those people who lived in Tampa for any you know number of years before that know that it goes back much farther. So um, f- for me, it was uh, that was the initial uh, inspiration to kind of get into it. But then also I, I constantly got calls from people who were doing research or wanted to kind of piggyback on my research. And so I thought it was time to to write something myself. And i um, had a lot of frustration, like getting articles published. I find that publishing a book takes about the same amount of time sometimes as publishing, especially an academic article. Um, so when I started to do the research and found all this information, it was like, let's do this. But um, you know, my mother, when I first told her, she was like, a whole book about a sandwich? <laughs> And, you know, she knew about the sandwich and my my obsession, but I was like, I think, um, you know, once she saw the the information I gathered and then the people I surrounded myself with, um, it all made more sense.
0: And, uh, Barbara, what about you? How did you get involved
4: and what was
0: your role in the book?
4: Well, Andy approached me. Uh, We had already... Known each other through our work at USF.
1: Because you're a professor of...
4: Uh... I'm a professor in in the College of Education. I'm in social science education. And so, of course, I have an interest naturally in history and geography, economics, culture, that kind of thing. And Andy and I already knew each other from another project that we had worked on. He also happened to know that I'm Cuban. I was born on the island, came to the United States in 1966. And... Um, The Cuban sandwich was just part of my life growing up. Uh, I grew up in Miami, but have spent most of my life as an adult in the city of Tampa. So I have that kind of perspective, having been on the island and living in Miami and then coming to Tampa. And I also happen to be a bit food obsessed, as my (laughs) co-authors are. So it was a natural, natural pairing. And Jeff, uh, what was your role?
2: So Andy approached me about writing profiles to sort of wrap around and run through the different historical um, documentation that he had acquired. Um, so we talked about possible you know profiles to write for the book, and also been working you know on the assembling the social media and whatnot. But it it's um, you know it's just it's an amazing thing to kind of take one tent pole of a subject and sort of show what the current scene is around it um which you know barb and andy also did as well but there's just so much to write about you could have filled a couple books about it because and, so it's just such a vibrant topic
0: and in some ways you know it's about a sandwich you you know but it's also a history book in a lot of ways i mean that's the the focal point of it but it's it's a lot more than it being about a sandwich
3: Right. I mean, like I, I mentioned in the introduction, the history is sort of what holds the whole thing together, just like a sandwich. Mm-hmm. So the the history is kind of the bread of the book, so to speak, and then you got all these kind of other layers um, involved. The other thing that I think um, an important role for Jeff was we had initially – we didn't want to put a bunch of recipes in the book and say this is the right way to make a sandwich. This is the only way to make it. Um, Unlike the Tampa City Council, which laid uh, down the law on right. uh, Very
1: precisely stand- how many pickles
3: right. and where they go. Right, exactly. Um, so it was important, I think, to, um, to, to be able to give some sort of guidance to people, but without it making like this is the doctrinaire, this is the version to make. And so it just so happened that Jeff talked talk, talk to um, America's Test Kitchen some of the folks over there for an event that was here in Tampa. So that was huge because they went through the entire process for us, making Cuban bread, making the pork, everything else. So uh, basically we, you know, Jeff wrote an, a profile about them and their sort of quest to, to to make the Cuban sandwich. Cause they put out this whole series online about it. If you're interested, it's a, it's a six part series about the kind of the trial and error of making a Cuban sandwich, including the bread and everything. So it's a, and I think, you know, that gives, should give people an appreciation that we're not talking about a recipe, but a series of recipes, you know, bread, the ham, everything else.
1: So a lot of people in Tampa grew up uh, being told or somehow becoming convinced that the Cuban sandwich was invented in Tampa. So let's go ahead and cut to the chase. Tell us where the Cuban sandwich was invented.
3: Drumroll. Drum roll. <laughs> Havana. The Cuban sandwich comes from Cuba. As far as as far as we could tell, yes, um, that the, that's the the cradle of the sandwich, and it, it springs from there. You know, the, the thing that's interesting, and I, I make a, a point in this of this in the book that everything at that point is is linked by steamships. So you can you can jump on a ship from Havana and be in New York a day day and a half later. You can be in you know. Uh, Tampa just hours later. So the rate that it spread around could have been very fast. It's it's really difficult to tell. So it's hard to tell how long it was sort of a, a Havana specialty before it left the Straits. We are talking to the three authors of the new book on the history of the Cuban sandwich.
1: If you would like to join the conversation and tell us where you think the best Cuban sandwich is, or tell us about your first encounters with the Cuban sandwich, call us at 813 813- This is WMNF.
0: So, Andy, you mentioned that it comes from Havana. Can you tell us a little bit about how you came to that conclusion? What what resources or materials did you rely on to come to that conclusion?
3: Right. Uh, What's interesting is cookbooks aren't of much help. Uh, It doesn't really show up in cookbooks until... It's already kind of well known and well established in, in Cuba and elsewhere.
0: Like what year would that have been? Like in
3: the? Um, it's a good question. Probably around the time of World War II. Okay. What's interesting is if you look in cookbooks in the 20s and like the early 30s, you get, you get sandwiches that are called Cuban sandwiches, but bear no resemblance to what we what we know of as a mm-hmm. Cuban sandwich. Um, and I, I I refer to those in the book. It usually is a a big sandwich made with like soft cheese and. Lettuce and salad dressing—it's—it's hmm. it's very unappealing. Yeah. <laughs> right. But actually, it took—it was a long time before it became known as a Cuban sandwich.
1: Right? It was called a mixto. Right. And it wasn't—was was it the Anglos, the the non-Cubans in Tampa who came up with the name? Right. Yeah. It was a—it was a sandwich that Cubans made. You know. So, yeah. you so But notice. so back to Janice's question yeah. in Cuba. How did it how did it emerge? What who who right. who made it and what was on it and,
3: and who was eating it? So, the apocryphal story. So they have a there's a folk tale about its creation in Tampa too. The folk tale is this: is that right after the war for independence in 1899, uh, the war was actually 1898, but in 1899, you start to get all these Yankees coming, um, and they're all investing in the island, et cetera. And that if you were a sandwich slinger at that time. Uh, you had to have two meats. You had to have roast pork because the Cubans loved their roast pork. And the only thing Americans really knew was, you know, it was ham, tongue sandwiches maybe, and some others. But ham was certainly like the – it was the hamburger of – it had sandwiches. It was just uh, kind of universal. So if you were a sandwich slinger, you'd have both. And it, it was only a matter of time before someone said, hey, put both of those on my sandwich or – so one of the loncheros the the guy who, you know the sandwich man decided to put it together so who knows exactly when that happened but i would say it was around the turn of the century or just before yeah and uh you tell a story in the book about how <coughs>
1: uh, elite cubans elite folks in havana were eating cuban sandwiches
3: tell
1: right. us about that
3: yeah so I and mean, back to the research a little bit barbara was instrumental in this too but i was able to go through periodical databases. So looking through old newspapers, but not just in the United States, but in Cuba, in Spain, etc. Um, through the magic of the Internet. Yes. And it, like, you know, I've, I've said this before. 20 years ago, you couldn't write this book the way that it was written just based on that, that research tool. You know, that's it's huge. Um, so I would find stuff of interest and I would be able to translate it roughly. But Barbara could do a much better job and of course was... You know, um, well versed in the slang and everything else. You know, Spanish is a very challenging language, especially when you're talking about like popular vernacular Spanish because it's a very shifting language. And like, if you mention a lonchero now, no one thinks of the lunchman. It's the it's the like the lunch truck that comes mm-hmm. to a site and has like you know, uh, iced down sandwiches and such. So, just in the last hundred years, that word's changed meanings too. So people in Havana would be eating this
1: as a late-night snack or eating it for lunch? Yeah, so the
3: elites, you mentioned that. Uh, You know, this is a a very high-priced, premium sandwich around the turn of the century in Cuba. And it's all based on, you know, most of its imported ingredients. You know, uh, one of the things I was able to find is when, you know, the first refrigerated steam ships started coming and bringing, like, cold cuts and things from New York. But you know, one of the first loncheros that we found was actually in the German Club, you know, a place that would have had lots and lots of great cold cuts. Mm-hmm. And um, he's you know he's slinging sandwiches there. So it's it's entirely possible that the first mixed or Cuban sandwich was made at the German Club or in an English restaurant in Havana. Who knows? But um, but what's you know, it's definitely was important to me was that Cuba become the focus of the sandwich um, and that. It didn't become sort of a Florida story. Right.
4: Yeah, and the other thing that we found is that when people reported eating the Cuban sandwich in Cuba, they were small. Nothing like the behemoths that we encounter today. They were these small little, almost finger-sized sandwiches. And um, they were considered in some ways even like a lady's sandwich. Lots of times mm. tea parties mentioned them. Wedding banquets. Um, when they had political events, lots of times these were were presented. Um, so it was something that it was, it was very refined. It was expensive. And uh, lots of times it was something that you had after the theater, for example. I and mean, then you would stop at a Havana cafe where the well-heeled would partake.
1: Or, yeah. the, or, or a, uh, a husband who's been out drinking late with his
3: friends is taking some home to his wife. Is that that was a very common trope that we found in newspapers <laughs> was sort of buying a domestic peace with a sandwich and then also a lot of frenzied men who had been sent out by their pregnant <laughs> They're pregnant wives, you know, and uh, Barbara, you want to explain the urgency behind yeah, that? Yeah,
4: so, you know, so that's one of the things, and this is true throughout Latin America, but there does exist, um, I'm going to call, you know, some people would say it's a superstition. Um, for those of us in Latin America, we know this to be true. And this is that if a pregnant woman has a craving for a particular food, if you do not give it to her, you're going to get a sty in your eye. <laughs> and I... Personally, you know, witnessed this myself uh, one time when I was pregnant, and I really wanted huevos rancheros at a Mexican restaurant. <laughs> if you know about this, it's a it's a morning dish or a lunch dish, not an evening dish. But it was dinner time, and I wanted my huevos rancheros. So uh, the the waiter, you know, said no, sorry, we don't have it. So I pulled back from the table so that he could see my girth, and he started to visibly, you know, shake sweat. He went to go get the chef in the kitchen. <laughs> brings him out. Needless to say, I got my huevo rancheros that evening. So we would find this that it, several uh, mentions in the newspapers and in the in the magazines that women, pregnant women, would say, "I'm really having this craving." And the husbands would go out or another family member to bring back. Um, I want to go to um, an
0: email that we have from David Bryant. And if you want to send us an email and let us know um, where your favorite Cuban sandwich is in the Tampa Bay area or in the world, send us an email at dj at wmnf.org. Or you can give us a call at 813-239-9663. And David Bryant says... Um, wants to know if you all write about the Silver Ring restaurant in the book. My grandfather used to stop in Ybor City on the way back home to Dade City, and Silver Ring was his favorite spot to get a Cuban sandwich. I think it dates back to the 1940s. I also remember that Silver Ring opened and reopened in Bartow a few years back and kept up good quality. Also, question number two, is there a vegan version of Cuban sandwiches available, perhaps with some tofu or seitan to fill in for the meat? Wants to so the that?
2: Silver Ring actually that has a location down on 301 in in Riverview now. It's it's very different. Um you know, there's nothing more powerful than the memory of a food you can't get anymore. Mhm. And we find this over and over in the book where people have this romantic thought about about that sandwich and what it meant to them and the, the moment that they had it and why it was so um excellent. Um you know, there's there's lots of of names that come out of you know, the past, whenever you talk about the Cuban sandwich. Um, I, you know, I totally get it because it's sort of like you're chasing that thing you can't grab. Mm. And it's it's a sense memory, it's a satisfaction and a comfort memory. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's just a very, I don't know, it's a very sensitive subject that you wouldn't think would be involved in a food item, but um, people have an emotional... Uh, reaction to the sandwich uh, over and over again. I, I've written about how I have a friend of mine who claims that, you know, the best sandwich he ever had, the best Cuban he ever had was at a gas station at 2 a.m. after a concert. And he's not wrong. You know, it's mm-hmm. just, it's what it means to that person. It's why it, it means one thing in Tampa versus what it means in Miami to people. Um, it has its own relative quality, but it's all the best part about it is that the sandwich is very, very approachable.
0: Yeah. Do we know if there's a vegan version anywhere around?
3: Yeah, I hope so, not. Yeah, no. <laughs> oh, there. Uh, well, I wouldn't say that as a Cuban, um, but uh, like for example, Sandwich Day Miami, they do a jackfruit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's an approximation of a pork of a of a lechon sandwich. Um, I still haven't brought myself to try it. I was just down there and I should have tried it. Um, but I was just gorging myself with other, you know, other things. Um, and the Silver Ring is definitely uh represented. We couldn't have written a book about like Tampa without mentioning the Silver Ring, the Columbia places like that. My first very first sandwich was at the the Silver Ring. Um, toasted, never pressed. Right. That's my memory of it. Well, it could the, be
2: wrong. My the, memory could be wrong. No, you're I, right, because back then, I mean, even the Columbia, which, you know, we talked about the Mixto earlier. It was called the Mixto on the Columbia's menu up until a certain amount of time that, like you said, the Anglos discovered it, and that's became the Cuban sandwich or the Cubano. Um, you know, they heated theirs in an oven. They didn't press it in probably until the 50s when Cesar Gonsmart Uh, Put a stack of plates on a press and helped weight it down to get it to the approximate size. But, um, yeah, it was a heated sandwich for for decades before it was a press sandwich, at least in Tampa.
0: I got another email. This is from Gary Gibbons in St. Petersburg. He says, real Cuban sandwiches don't have mayo or lettuce and tomato on them with an exclamation point and just yellow mustard mustard not spicy brown mustard or some mayo mustard mix you guys can weigh in on that um one of the best cubans i ever had uh, was as a child at las novedadas spanish restaurant in ybor city the colombia still makes a great one i agree with that the colombia is one of my favorite cubans um, and must use la segunda bread
2: they do um like i said uh, before we were on air we've I uh, used the La Segunda bread for 107 years, fourth-generation family-owned bakery. Some of the ovens that they have are ovens that we had when we had a Royal Palm Bakery in Ybor City.
0: And we, you're speaking for Columbia Restaurant. I'm sorry. Because you Jeff actually for work Columbia. for the Columbia it, Restaurant.
2: It's hard to divorce it. I'm yep. vice president of marketing, so... That's okay. You're it, doing your job. It's Good the job, ro- Jeff. the Royal <laughs> uh we. Yeah. Um, but anyway, you know, it, it's... Um, the Columbia serves their Cuban, uh, first of all, it's the same recipe since at least 1915, but they serve it with lettuce and tomato and an extra pickle spear on the side, as Richard Godsmart likes to say, in case you want to ruin it. Um, <laughs> I, I, I understand the, the mayonnaise and the the dijonnays and the aiolis and all that, that that people put on it to try and make it a less um, dry sandwich, but the only thing the Columbia uses is French's yellow mustard and a lot of people do but you know as it sort of became more americanized i think that's when the when the mayonnaise or the extra sort of sauce came in if you weren't using a chopped pork that was sort of dripping from having Oh
0: God, I'm salivating. Yeah. The it, um so we're talking right now we'll talk a little bit later about unusual really super unusual cuban sandwiches but this is a traditional one, what you're talking about, Correct. traditional with the yellow mustard and a pickle. We've got an email from um, someone who's telling Larry uh, someone who's telling us his no, it's not from Larry. He says the best Cuban is at Larry's deli in Landa Lakes. I've been there. That's his favorite place. This is from yeah. Lenny. Thanks, Lenny. From Lenny. That was from Lenny. Um, and then we they
2: have a giant um University of Florida Gator in a football outfit no, carrying no. a Cuban sandwich and a caricature on the side of their wall.
0: Oh, so we, this is from Lenny. He wants to know. He says, uh, I don't eat pork and I never had, that was, uh, we did have somebody talk about sure. Larry's. Um, I don't eat pork and never had a Cuban sandwich. Please describe what a Cuban sandwich is. So that's very basic for you, Lenny. Let's do that. Jeff, you want to describe a sure. Cuban sandwich? So
2: the way we build it at the Royal, we, we built it at the Columbia. It starts with a piece of Cuban bread split in two and half. On the bottom, you put, uh, you start with, um, Glazed ham. It's and we're just talking sliced meats here. Glazed ham on the bottom, then marinated uh, mojo roasted pork uh, that's roasted in house. So is the 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 ham. So you start ham, pork, then you go to Genoa salami with the black peppercorns. Uh, black peppercorns are hard to find, so it's imported from Italy for the for the Columbia sandwich. After that, you go to Swiss cheese, and there are not very many people that get. Really crazy about the quality of the Swiss cheese, but Barbara found someone in New Jersey who loves Finlandia and has the phrase,
4: Finlandia or nada. Yeah. So, <laughs> okay. so
2: on top of the Swiss cheese, they use two dill pickled chips. You cut it on it, you know, you, you put the top loaf on, and the, and the top loaf is the only one that has the mustard on it. And Richard Gonsmart's theory, from an architectural standpoint, is it it coats the roof of your mouth, not your tongue. It doesn't become a mustard sandwich if you put it. On the roof of the sandwich, you, you, you butter the top after you close the sandwich, <laughs> you press it uh, as long as it takes to get it to a crispiness, and you cut it on a bias, which means you cut it on a triangle, um, which makes it easier to eat. You eat from the point down to the thick part. Um, I did see someone eating it like a harmonica just last week. Um, I thought I was going to have to have an intervention. But, you know, you would think it would be, but people enjoy it the way they want to enjoy it. He ate it like corn on the cob, and, you know, if that's the way you like it, that's the way you like it.
0: Here's another email from someone who says that, this is a bit outside Tampa, but Hurricane Hanks in Anna Maria Island has a great Cuban. Traditional with plantain chips on the side is a must.
3: I'm
2: putting it on the list.
3: Put that on the list. You know, the other thing is mentioning, you know, the... Talking about mayo and, and lettuce and tomato is, you know, early on by the, the end of the 1940s, the Silver Ring was, was putting that stuff on their sandwiches because people asked for it. So, yeah, I remember you know,
1: the first time I went there, it was, a, it was already mixed. It was uh, okay. mayonnaise and mustard mixed together, and they would mm-hmm. put it on the bread with a wooden uh, stick.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I think it's why. important to note, and Andy writes about this, is that the sandwich really came out of a time pre-refrigeration when before it was refrigeration was so common. Mm -hmm. So this was a shelf-sable sandwich. The first time I saw it, I remember vividly in the early 90s down in Miami, and they would have them stacked up in the window, not in a refrigerator, just ready for lunch. They had prepped a whole bunch that they could just smash and go. Um, When you add mayonnaise or you add any other sauce to it or any vegetation, then it becomes a problem. That's more of a modern kind of take on what we think a sandwich might need in terms of sauce or
3: Um, adornment. also, you're not going to press it with a bunch of vegetables in it. And I'm totally against the idea of like prying it open after it's pressed and then stuffing the stuff in there. The whole thing is just a waste.
0: Since we're talking about pressing, um, we do have an email from Bubba. He wants to know, if you talk about the George Foreman grill revolution, (laughs) it makes pressing Cuban sandwiches very easy. Also, can you talk about midnight sandwiches? Why are they called that? But, But the George Foreman Grill? So is anytime
2: that- you have a, a, any kind of press, you're, you're okay. It's not going to look like it does coming out of a regular plancha, you know, a flat kind of surface plancha, yeah. but it gets the job done. And essentially what you're going for is a crispiness on the outside and a tenderness on the inside. And some melted cheese. And some melted cheese, that mm-hmm. helps. Um, but the, yeah, how long, does, how long to press it for? Until the cheese starts to melt. That's, that's your guide right there. You know, Versailles restaurant in Miami... Um, who just this week um, lost Felipe Valls Sr., the founder of Versailles, um, and our thoughts go to his family. Um, They press it open-faced, and then they close it and press it again. So it gets the full meltiness and caramelization in it. Um, So people have different techniques, and if you have a George Foreman grill, go for it. Uh, You know, the planche is really sort of a a mid-century addition, um, for the most part, when it when it reached Miami and Miami's bread was so vastly different from Tampa, at least that's kind of the the thought process. But um, you know, the plancha was a huge change for the sandwich because it it compressed it and it put all the flavors together in a different way.
0: Um, we have a vote uh, a vote through text message for brocatos for that's the a best big sandwich. Cuban sandwich. And as a so, matter of fact, that's what this says. That's a huge, all a huge caps hu- Cuban sandwich. So
2: the great thing about brocatos. It's built for the place where it is. If you go there, there's like five UPS trucks and maybe a couple of Amazons and a couple of cops and things like that. It's built to to fill your belly. And when you're doing deliveries and, and on up and down I four, not the
1: Dani sandwich that its origins no, uh, would suggest, no, no. but also it gets to back to one of the myths of the sandwich, it, which is that it was the Cuban cigar workers' sandwich, right. and that's why it doesn't have mayonnaise on it. So what was what did your research show
3: regarding Uh, Cuban cigar workers or any of the cigar workers in Tampa? First of all, in the the mid-20s, there was a rash of food poisonings because people were making their sandwiches and not getting rid of them, well, until they sold them. And so... (laughs) City Council, you know, passed a new ordinance saying you can't leave your sandwiches out for more than three days. I think it was something Three like that. days? Three days, right.
0: That would that, make a crispy bread. That was in that the 20s. Some- <laughs> um,
3: so I think that gives you an idea of, like, why mayonnaise wasn't, um, you know, wasn't big on the sandwich. I've I heard someone say, like, if you wanted to kill your husband, <laughs> you'd put, <laughs> you put mayonnaise on the sandwich and send him to work with one. <laughs> um but, uh, oh, was it a common uh, lunch item for cigar workers? Yeah, so the cigar worker, the other main um, kind of uh, folk tale uh, in Tampa that I've heard before, and I know someone sort of just made it up and said that there was a document uh, that backed it up, but that somehow Old Man Ebor, when he started Ebor City, had a contest. For like what do I serve my cigar workers? what should they eat like like cigar workers didn't know what they like to eat or something <laughs> you know or didn't know how to make a sandwich and so the you know the the legend is that someone came up with this sandwich and said this is what the cigar workers should eat you know and my my thing is is just it's, it's just uh, <laughs> it's hard for me to wrap my my head around it, but uh, I imagine a lot
1: of them were going home for lunch, right? Well, because they, the were, fact they were living that, close, they were living close to uh, to work in Ybor City and in West right. Tampa.
3: Well, and also, you know, the the Cubans who came here wanted to replicate everything they could about old Havana. I mean, we have the lampposts on Seventh Avenue. Are the ones that were on Havana at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so this idea, like the first thing you do when you come to a new land, is invent a new food, um, is very specious to me. It just doesn't—it doesn't ring true. They want the things that, that to remind them of home, right? That give them comfort. But yeah, and they—and there were cigar workers in Havana long before they came.
1: Well, okay. You know, to, to Florida. Speaking you know. of which, there were cigar workers in Key West before they were in Ybor City. So, right. w- w- were there Cuban sandwiches there then?
3: It's very difficult to tell. Um, my they hun- do put lettuce and tomato on their sandwiches, probably. right? My my hunch is that they had sandwiches, but I'm not sure if they had the mixto. It's very difficult. Um, the problem with Key West is there just aren't there aren't many sources. That survives. I mean, documentation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, for me, you know, so you want documentation on these kinds of histories. Absolutely. I okay. mean, that's what I was going into. You know, you. I, I wrote in the introduction: if you ask a hundred people about the Cuban sandwich, you will get a hundred different stories told with passionate certainty that their grindf- grandfather or the cafe that they grew up going to is the only place that served the real sandwich, and you'll get. A hundred different recipes, and it's got to be cut this way. It's got to be on this kind of plate. It can't be in wax paper or something. So, uh, uh, for me, it was important. the The written documentation was was all important, and then we incorporated the the verbal stuff with the uh, with the profiles.
0: Let's get to another email. Keith in Tampa says the best um, s- Cuban sandwich is the Spain in downtown Tampa, and the second best is La Bamba in West Shore. Never okay. heard of bomba I know this main. Um, so the 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 midnight sandwich. I think it's the right. Medianoche. Is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. So it was, we had a question about that. Do you? Can you tell us where that came from? Barbara the name. Nodding
4: her head. No, she's he a, he not. certain sir. It, but sir, sir but I, <laughs> I grew up eating Medianoches, and they are on a softer egg bread. Um, kind and of a sweet bread, right? Uh, it's kind of sweet. It has yeah. a little bit of a, of a sweetness to it. And it's built the same way as a Cuban sandwich oftentimes, but it's much more wieldy. Uh, it's, it's much um, a lighter. Uh, lots of times children will order that as opposed to a Cuban sandwich. And it comes from Cuba. Uh, we, we saw that in the menus and in some of the articles you know, that we came across. And like the name implies, it too would be something that you would eat after a night out on the town as you're doing your paseo, you know, very much still, you know, a part of Cuban life Um in the evening, especially when it's really hot out during the day and you go out for a cool breeze and you're going to stop and you're going to get a tropical fruit shake or a beer or whatever, you know, along with your medianoche.
0: We've got another vote for the best Cuban sandwich in the area. This is from um, Bob Pope, Jr. He says, Mako Mako, M-A-K-E-L Bakery on Drew Street in Clearwater makes the best Cuban. So if you want to weigh in on a great Cuban sandwich, you can send us an email at DJ at WMNF.org. And we'll be back um, after this brief break with our guests to talk about some crazy Cuban sandwiches that you can find all around in other parts of the world, not in the Tampa Bay area.
1: This is Gary Gibbons, a longtime listener, supporter, and volunteer here at WMNF. My wife, Jane, and I believe strongly in the mission and values of WMNF and we want the station to continue on forever. That's why we've met the match by contributing to WMNF's brand new endowment fund. And we're super excited that our donation's going to be matched, and so can yours. So please go to WMNF.org right now and click on the Meet the Match button to do your part to ensure that WMNF's financial future will be bright. The matching funds are only available for a short time, so please do it today. Thank you.
4: The Community (coughs) Foundation Tampa Bay supports nonprofits through the power
0: of endowment. And we're back with our guests. So, you guys, I've heard you talk about some pretty, uh, Cubans are all over the world. So, the Cuban sandwiches originated in Havana. It's kind of the definitive sandwich of Tampa and Miami, Florida, and Florida in general. But everywhere you go, you see Cuban sandwiches. Tom and I were in Vermont. We saw so many restaurants in Vermont with Cuban sandwiches all around.
1: But without uh, La Segunda Bread.
0: Without La Segunda Bread. So, what are some of the things that you all came across when you were uh, researching this book, or just in general? If it's not in the book, I think there's some stuff that maybe is not in the book that I've heard you talk about that are some pretty funky Cuban sandwiches.
3: Right. Yeah. Um, first of all, I think historically, there's a whole lot of funky sandwiches out there. So, like, what, one of the things I found was that, like, by the 1920s, people were saying, you know, the Cuban sandwich is taken Florida by storm, but it was taken the whole country by storm, so... You know, if you look at the book, I'm, I talk about Michigan, you know, Illinois, Montana, all these places all around the country. It had crisscrossed this country several times by, I would say, the 1950s, and it had gone in and out of fashion in some places during that time. World War II had a big impact, too, because there was a lot of seamen and a lot of other people who were you know, going around and been in, um, uh, exposed to things in Florida as well as Cuba. Um so, uh, but what I found is, you know, these early bastardizations across the United States. So it's like you get out to the Midwest, and it's like it's liverwurst and bacon and cheddar cheese, or roast beef, or even lamb. So you find all these other things where the Cuban sandwich is more of a concept than an actual recipe, and it's like, oh, you just put a bunch of stuff and layer it on, and you put cheese on there too, you know. Uh, <laughs> but even in Tampa back then, in the like the 30s, they had turkey on. Turkey was very common, right? Oh, yeah, and in Cuba itself, turkey was very, very popular. We found all kinds of stuff, you know, uh, uh, a pate. Turkey was very uh, popular in Cuba. I mean, you even had foie gras. um, In Cuba. In Cuba. Salchichon. Yeah, Yeah, Salchichon. all the different salamis and the hard chorizos, those were all sort of. um, Well, you mentioned salami. Yeah,
0: they make one in Korea with kimchi.
2: Right. Yeah, so one one of the things that's been cool is to see that spread and there's a young couple in Seoul who have a place called the Tampa Sandwich Bar and their logo approximates the the Parks and Rec logo for the city of Tampa. <laughs> and they heard about the Columbia and fell in love with making the Cuban sandwich there that they wanted to create this bar. And it's basically the menu is nothing but comfort food, American comfort food, mac and cheese, mashed potato, all this great comfort food, hamburgers. And they replicated the Cuban sandwich there. And if you go online, they have the Tampa Cuban, they have the Miami Cuban, and then they have um, a Korean Cuban with kimchi and a lot of people, when we say that, look, and I'm like, well, if you look at what mustard and pickles serves and the mojo, the sour orange, you know, maybe there's a combination that approximates that, you know, they, they, I got in contact with them through Instagram, um, on behalf of the Columbia, they wound up coming to Tampa and competing in the, um, uh, the Cuban sandwich festival and, <laughs> and won the popular vote twice, um, because they were just, they were doing just such great imaginative stuff with that. Um, I sent them a bunch of Tampa swag. Um, you know, I like to joke that I'm the only Caucasian to send rice to Asia, um, but they <laughs> took it and made paella, and they made sangria, and they have, you know, Cigar City beer things all over their walls and things like that. So everybody kind of pitched in to bring them in, and I like to think of it as like the community of the Cuban. You know, there is it is a very inclusive thing as long as you come with that passion and um, you know the the idea that you know it's a very approachable sandwich and a very common sandwich you know when you start getting too expensive on your cuban you might have made a mistake
4: but
0: then you have then you have places that do really kind of like elevated Cuban sandwiches like um, the Boozy Pig. Is that the, the place that has their...
2: It's wh- not a Cuban at the Boozy Pig. It's, it's a, a mixto. Mixed oh, the okay. Thir- the third rail of food is calling it a Cuban and not making a Cuban. So he is... Part Although it's, it's pretty... It's pretty... Uh, authentic. I, I, I think mean, you could go there and be confused that it wasn't because it's... He's part Sicilian and part Cuban and he's a butcher, uh, Andrew Tambuzo, who's in the book. He's Boozy a butcher. Boozy Pig is in West Tampa. It, is, it right. is in West Tampa on Cyprus. He makes his own pork, he makes his own ham, he makes his own um, salami. Wow. He makes his own mustard, he makes his own pickles. The only thing he doesn't do is the bread and the mustard. And the, um, and oh, is there he,
0: cheese on it? There this?
2: is cheese, Swiss cheese. Oh. It's, he doesn't care about the Swiss It's oh. like I said, Although Swiss they sell cheese. some excellent mustard uh, at the Boozy place. They make their own mustard, they their own and mustard. they use that on the sandwich. Okay. Um, but Barb found somebody in Belfast.
4: Yeah, and so on, and I also wanted to get back to Janet's comment about the kimchi because right. what happens is that folks from outside the United States have to work with whatever ingredients they have, and mm-hmm. in the case of the kimchi, as Jeff found, you know, it kind of takes the place of the pickle. It, it has that same acidic crunch mm-hmm. that provides that nice foil. That makes right? sense.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> well, uh, th- one of the most important ingredients, if I-, I would argue, the most important ingredient is the bread, mm-hmm. and there is a big difference between. Tampa Cuban bread and Miami Cuban bread. If you've ever been there, I, I find the Cuban bread in Miami to be closer to the bread they use in New Orleans for po'boys. This uh, in Tampa, it's much crustier and 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 I don't know what it is about it. It's just different, and I think that's one of the reasons you can eat a Cuban sandwich in Tampa cold and it's still pretty good. But where did what? Can you explain the difference, Barbara? Because you grew up on Miami Absolutely. Cuban sandwiches. What, what's mm-hmm. the difference between the bread and why is there such a difference?
4: Well, you know, we just celebrated Thanksgiving, and my sister came up from Miami, and she brought her Miami Cuban bread in tow. I mean, she— Into your house. I, can you believe that? <laughs> Into my house. She brought in that Cuban, Miami Cuban bread, um, which, by the way, when I'm in Miami, it tastes delicious, and it's fine, <laughs> and I get it. And Especially when it's pressed. Especially when it's pressed, but it does compress a lot more than the Tampa version. And you are absolutely right, Tom, that the, the tampa bread is, it, it's tender you know but the outside is crustier and it's craggier and it just has a different kind of chew the miami bread is very much an eggshell kind of a finish it's much much softer you know um jeff and andy were just there about a week ago mm-hmm. or so at the miami book fair and you must have noticed the difference immediately
2: it's a much uh, it's a almost like an eggshell kind of thinness to it Hmm. Uh, as you were describing tom the 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 Tampa bread is crusty whether you press it or not. and in Miami, you really have to get to that point through the pressing and the buttering to get there. it's a it's a satisfying bite, but it's a much different bite. And if you don't press it, Miami bread tends to pull and the sandwich kind of pulls apart and that's not a that's not a, an enjoyable experience. You want it to a consistent bite every time. And the other key
1: difference of course is salami. That will that can cause fights really uh, with somebody from Miami cuz they just don't think salami belongs on it. So how did it get on a sandwich? I've again heard some of these stories you know, they had a meeting and, you know, the Italians gave them this and the Germans gave them that and the Cubans gave them...
2: What, I believe what? you're referring to the Cuban Sandwich Conference of 1903.
1: <laughs> <right>? <laughs> yes. The protocols of... Yes. Uh,
2: Held yes. it this guy
1: out. <laughs> but so uh, how did... Uh, what's your thought? Because
2: in Tampa... I, I want to refute that, by the way, because now people will say there was a conference.
1: There was no conference. You heard it here first. But oh, man. How did it make yeah. it on the, the sandwich? Because in Tampa, the, the salami is, is kind of uh, central to it.
3: Right. So, you know, in Cuba, I've heard from, from several people and sources that salami was, was served on Cuban sandwiches there. And it wasn't just like Spanish salami, salchichan. Sometimes it's just salami salami. I mean, um, we talked about uh, turkey being on Cuban sandwiches here in Tampa. One of the things I was delighted in 1950 when I found a reporter had gone to Cuba and had a sandwich that it was a Cuban sandwich, but it had turkey and salami on it. And I was like, here is Tampa's sister sandwich, the exact same thing. It wasn't known as a Cuban sandwich. It was known as a certito de flauta, or a fluted assortment. That's the, the other important thing to talk about with the Cuban bread, is that like La Segunda is making turn-of-the-century style Cuban bread. Um, now, since that recipe came across the Straits over the intervening 50, 60 years— the way that they made bread in Cuba had changed because they're making bread in Cuba like they make
1: in Miami. Exactly. Today.
3: So if so, if you talk about the way they were making bread in 1950s, that's that's Miami style. So they were simply just making w- the current style in Cuba, but we had you know Tampa had preve- you know um, preserved you know, this old way of making it.
1: So well, you don't find Cuban sandwiches much except in some tourist areas of Havana. Yeah. In, in 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 Cuba, you just don't see Cuban sandwiches, right? In fact, uh, Jack Espinoza, may he uh, rest in peace, uh, you know, grew up in Ybor City in the 1930s. Uh, he was a nightclub comedian in Havana in the 50s. First time he goes to Havana, he goes into a sandwich shop and said, I'll have a Cuban sandwich. And the guy looks at him turns around and says, they're all Cuban sandwiches. <laughs> so,
0: We got an email from Elaine who says, this show is making me so hungry, but I'm loving it. My favorite Cuban sandwich is the Arco Iris Cuban. Not authentic as it has lettuce and tomato, but still so delicious. And they also have great Cuban uh, uh, cafe con leche.
3: The other thing I wanted to, to mention um, is is Chef, the movie Chef. Mm-hmm. I
4: think there was a
3: game changer in the history of the Cuban sandwich. Um, you know whether you like the movie or not is is one is one thing, but uh, it was a fun f- movie. Yeah, the fact that it, uh, it it portrayed the Cuban sandwich as something that was worth the chef's attention, um, and I think it first of all it, it made a lot of people aware. I'm sure our Korean friends among them um, that the Cuban sandwich existed, but not just that, but that it didn't have to be two ninety five. Um, you know, and that it could it could actually have some, some mm-hmm. you know, culinary worth. But you're right. And, the Cuban sandwich
1: uh, was something that if it was more than two ninety five in right. Tampa, you're not going to get it. It's just too expensive. Oh, for a long
3: I mean. time. And I'd still even, yeah. I think during the pandemic, someone said, you know, more than $5 and you're getting ripped off. And I'm like, have you mm-hmm. looked at what prices are doing lately? Um, mm-hmm. You know, and the idea that, that you know, uh, you have to get a sandwich for $3. It, I think it held the sandwich back for many years as far as like... Well, you have to use cheaper ingredients.
1: Right. Like boiled ham and, you know, the the you know processed pork. I mean, right. you can still get those kinds of sandwiches around town.
3: And, I re- you know, I refer to that, uh, you know, one of the reasons why with um, in the book as far as like immigrants coming and making sandwiches. And there was a guy in particular who didn't want to add cheese to his sandwich because he'd have to raise the price. You know, and in fact, he started when he made the dollar sandwich. He made one that was half the size, just so he people mm-hmm. who couldn't couldn't afford it. So there was a real um, sensitivity to that. That you know, you did not want to turn anyone away, and I think that had a lot to do with the sandwich becoming like a really rock bottom priced item. And you know, Jeff mentioned like the brocados, you know, and that's a, there's a certain crowd mm-hmm. that goes there, and in, in Cuba. In the 1950s, you know, I, I found an account by a banker, and he said all the bankers went to this cafe and ate this sandwich. If you were a bricklayer, you went and you ate a different sandwich at a different cafe. You'd have different price points, but also you know, the, the banker doesn't need as much food as a bricklayer. Um, and so you, know, you had a, a stratified you know, um, or a much more varied market. So I think that's a sign of a healthy thing. The sandwich abides. Instead of them all being cheap.
0: <laughs> Let's right? get to um, a phone call and an, an email. We've got an email from Bev who says, um, I just tuned in as a lifelong Tampa resident. I remember Cuban bread should really be called Tampa bread. She says, I eat a Cuban sandwich every day at Jefferson High School late in the late 70s. I never heard that about the about the Tampa bread, but...
4: Like, makes sense? And they served it in school cafeterias. Right. Oh, I they did? Yeah. yeah, yeah, they did.
3: Jefferson High School, I guess. Every huh.
4: Yeah, they did. We, we had it in the menu.
3: Yeah, and the lunch lady mm-hmm. in the 1960s, I quote her, and she says, like, if we don't have a Cuban sandwich, mm-hmm. you know, for one day of the week, students act like we don't have any food. Really? You know, it's just like, what?
0: Oh, I mean, my gosh, that is so better th- much was better was than the pressed? soy burgers. <laughs> <laughs> I,
3: bet
1: it, I bet it was a cold sandwich, too.
3: <laughs> and not only that, but, like, like when USF opened... You know, Morrison's Cafeteria was the caterer. You know, they didn't sell Cuban sandwiches. And people were, were getting them delivered and everything. And there was a big fight about that, too.
0: So well, that's funny. Um, we've got Gary from Sarasota who's called in. Gary from Sarasota, you're on the line. What's on your mind?
5: Well, it's a perfect show before lunch. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> there's
0: going to be a lot of Cuban sandwiches sold in the Tampa Bay area today.
5: For, for me, and, and you guys were talking about it, maybe it, maybe it touched on it. it. You can have all the right meat and all the... the whatever condiments you're putting on but if that bread isn't right it's just not the hot the Cuban I mean it's just got to have the right bread and, you know you get so excited about getting the Cuban at a different restaurant and the bread is not what it should be you're like oh this might as well be eating a peanut butter and jelly you know uh,
3: <laughs> absolutely
5: where, where, where is the best in you, y'all's opinion for commercial sales where's the best bread made in the Tampa Bay area
1: oh, that's you- an easy answer go ahead guys
2: La La Segunda. La Segunda. <laughs> you know, it's hard, outside it's hard to beat that
0: outside of life. Okay. What's the second best then? If it's not, Las- well, let's just talk. We
1: about casino. I mean, they make a very yeah. similar recipe and you can mm-hmm. get that at Publix.
3: Right. Yeah. Casino. I've used that a lot. Um, it's one that you, you're going to want to press for sure. I mean, for, for Barbara, there is no other, it's gotta be pressed, but, uh, um, but the th- nice thing about casino is it's not going to go stale in a day. I mean, one of the reasons uh, why you're eating medianoches at midnight is because none of the Cuban bread is is fresh anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so anyway, I don't know if that answers. But my even question.
2: even Versailles, they sell their sandwiches mail order on Goldbelly. They don't use Cuban bread. Because Cuban bread doesn't travel. If it's any more than a day old, it's going to be terrible. It's not going to be the you same
1: You can experience. use it as a hammer and drive nails. It's so hard. <laughs> well, Gary,
0: thank you for the call. Hey,
5: thank you. Hey,
2: thanks, thanks, Gary.
0: Um, we've got another email, too, from Mike Connolly, who says, the number one Cuban in the Berg is at the Old Southeast Markets.
2: Hmm. So. Well, I was over there a couple of weeks ago when we did the Tampa Bay Times Festival of Reading, and I, I just, on a whim, I Googled, because I grew up in St. Pete, and I didn't know Cuban sandwiches when I lived in St. Pete. It just didn't exist. It was a Tampa thing. Um, and I I Googled it, and I came up with a place called Simply Delicious. And my wife and I went there, and Grace and I are sitting outside, and it's a little tiny window that you look through. It's not even as big as a Ventanita window in Miami. And you're, like, bending down to order, and they have the chef special, which has vegetation and aioli and all kinds of stuff on it. And then you can get a regular traditional Cuban. So we have both. And I will tell you, the one that has all the stuff on it was so good. And I'm like, okay, this, I'm actually proving to myself I'm not a strict constructionist. There's an experience that has, you know, crispy, sweet, salty, creamy, cheesy, pickly, you know, mustardy. But when you add it just to tweak it a little bit, it can be an enjoyable thing. And, th- and both of them had great flavor. You could taste, I can swear I can taste the garlic from that roasted pork right now. But, um, you know, you, I love when you find little pockets of, of, of sandwich heaven um, in places that you're not really looking for. There's a place in Indian Rocks Beach uh, that's
1: been selling Cuban sandwiches for yeah. four years. Yeah. So. so.
0: Um, yeah, we actually, somebody mentioned, um, Indian Rocks Beach, uh, Havana Harry's, um, Wallingham near Indian Rocks Beach. Great effing taste in Cubans, Pete says. Um, and then we have Mary Crouch who's asking, where's the best Cuban sandwich in Pinellas? You guys have a thought on that?
3: Well, Jeff just mentioned Simply Delicious.
2: Yeah, I, I like Simply Delicious, but I know that there's more. Um, there used to be a place out by the airport, St. Pete Clearwater Airport. that was yeah, right it across was the gone. street from it. That was and, famous. And yeah. that, that went away. Um, well, so, La Segunda's in St. Pete now. La Segunda, I and would I, say I, you could start there. Yeah,
1: they have lifted their game on the sandwich itself, I have to say. I think a couple of years ago, I would I thought the sandwich was... Underwhelming, But I don't know what they did, but I think the sandwich is much better. Than There's a new
2: generation in charge there. It's the fourth generation Copa More, uh, More. And, uh, you know, they really brought that Tampa flavor to to St. Pete in a big way. But I know a lot of people love the the Miami version at Bodega on Central. I got no an, salami. I got no a vote salami. for the
0: Caribbean Cafe in the Berg on Central near 49th, Caribbean Cafe. So that's another one in, in Pinellas. Um, By
3: the way, a lot of places in Miami do serve salami on their sandwiches. I wouldn't say a lot, but, I mean, several places that have been around for a long time, um, they all they all serve it. So, um, Miami is not bereft of salami.
0: And then um, we've got another, Jane Gibbons, who's weighing in and saying that she believes that the a real Cuban is yellow mustard, Tampa Cuban bread, no lettuce or tomato, a couple of pickles, Swiss cheese, and it is not pressed.
2: Okay, Jane. Not pressed. Well, wow. um,
0: <laughs> I want to, we have just a little bit of time left, I want to make sure we get to this this email. Um from someone who says um, she likes the show. She says that the, the, she wants to emphasize the point at the beginning of the show that Tampa's food, food scene is underrepresented and a treasure when shared with others. Um, she says, Our younger generation needs a way to keep the traditions fresh. They are all foodies and so ready to show that they love on social media. Um, my daughter Sarah is, is proud as is a fifth-generation tampanian When she and Blair, Blair uh, married last February, they made food of the two families, the center of a three-day beach we- wedding celebration. It unites us. It connects us to the past. Um, so I'm sure that you, you know... You basically did a history book with the Cuban sandwich as the central character. Mm-hmm. So it is a, a connection to the past. Um, oh, absolutely. That's a, a good It's like time
2: travel. If you eat the one, that, the, that not to tout the one, but the, the Columbia's recipe, as I said, is more than a century old. The bite that you're having is the bite that that our descendants had. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's great as a North Star. And then you kind of go from there and find the ones that, that satisfy you for different reasons.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, we got a call. We've got Clay from Landa Lakes who's on the line. Clay, what's on your mind?
5: Well, first, let me thank your uh, guest for writing the book and making a definitive uh, what, what the uh, origin of the Cuban sandwich was. As a native Tampanian, I've been eating Cuban sandwiches since, uh, oh gosh, I guess I think we probably had my first one when I was nine years old. So where was it? Where'd you, you have it? Uh, what's that?
1: Where'd you have that Cuban sandwich?
5: At uh, Silver Ring. Ah, uh, right. yep. yeah. Silver Ring was a a favorite place of my grandfather's.
1: Great place. Mm-hmm.
5: So, um, but I wanted to talk about another place that has them. There's this place called Keystone Corner on Tupper Springs Boulevard, and they make a they pre-make a whole bunch of Cubans. They make them. Without uh, putting mayonnaise and mustard on them, with mayonnaise and mustard, with tomatoes and lettuce. But what they will do is stand there and make for you at lunchtime, and they're busy as heck, a Cuban sandwich exactly to your order. Mm. they got great bread. they got the you know all the white ingredients, and you can get it just the way you want it.
0: Oh, awesome. Sounds great. Sounds great. We've got also someone who says um, Tuesdays on 9th Avenue and 72. Thanks for the call, Clay. All Yum. Right. And then, I'll stay healthy. And um, John, who uh, answers phones for us and helps us uh, engineer this show, says Cookie Coconuts in Indian Rocks Beach has tasty uh, Cuban sandwiches. So that's another place in Pinellas County. So where can people get their hands on this book if they want to learn more about the Cuban sandwich and know the history? Tell us. We've got about a minute left. So tell us how they can get their hands on this book.
3: Uh, Amazon, um, some local bookstores. You can get it in the airport.
4: Uh, If you go to our website, we actually have a discount code if you mm -hmm. buy it directly from the press. And what is that website?
2: Cubansandwichbook.com. That's pretty simple and straightforward.
4: Cubansandwichbook.com.
0: And the name of the book is... The Cuban Sandwich, A History in Layers. Thanks. And it will
1: make you hungry. Let me just say, don't read that book without a Cuban sandwich next to you. <laughs> well, I
0: might have to have one for lunch now. So um, thank thank you to the three of you for being here. Thanks to everyone who called and everybody who emailed. Um, stay tuned for Harrison Nash, Three Hours of Great Music after the NPR news headlines. This is WMNF Tampa. <laughs>